the quality of air in our home is important. Indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air. But with Puro Air, you can remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room in just 30 minutes. This device uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. You wouldn't drink unfiltered tap water, so why would you breathe unfiltered air? Check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. Christian Parenting. This is Cynthia Yanoff, and you're listening to Pardon the Mess. Each week, we have honest discussions about the ups and downs of parenting and the lessons God is teaching us along the way. It's real, it's fun, and it's biblical. Life is messy. Don't walk the parenting road alone. Right, before we kick today's show off, I want to tell you that it is time to grab your prayer journal. I wrote it this year and it's titled Key Psalms to Pray Over Your Kids. And you go to cpgive.org. It's linked in podcast notes, but cpgive.org to get a copy. And we will start um, early September praying every week for our kids. We'll do it on the Monday morning podcast. We will follow this. It is a great way to have something you can keep in your car on the bathroom counter next to your bed. It's just reminds you to pray a topic of your kids each week. You can make a few notes. I'm not a journaler, but totally appreciate an opportunity to just write down a few things I'm praying for my kids because later I can show them what I've been praying and how the Lord's answered it. And so we are going to pray each week different topics over our kids. This prayer journal has scripture you can pray over your kids. It has places to make notes, all the things. And so grab your copy, cpgive.org, so you are ready to go when we kick off in September. Hey guys, welcome to Pardon the Mess. I'm glad that you are here today. And I'm so glad that my voice sounds normal again. If you've been listening the last couple weeks, you know that we've had COVID in our house. And so thankfully we are much better. I wanted to share a little bit of my COVID 2.0 story for you. Um, Or maybe just post COVID because whatever's going on in your life, just know same here. And so, as you know, we went on vacation, then we came back and we were sick and we've all recovered, thankfully. But I don't know what happens when we go on vacation, but, or maybe we just don't know how to go on vacation. But when we come back, everything's always broken. Does this happen to anyone else? Every time we come back, I feel like there's something major. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe this isn't major, but the sprinklers like been spraying all over the neighbor's car for 10 days or whatever it is. So we get back this time and one of our AC units is out, the one that covers the main part of the house. So that stinks. And I'm like, well, you know, we're trying to figure that out, but then we get COVID and who has the capacity to deal with replacing an AC unit and as expensive as that is. So we're kind of just managing without it because our bedrooms still have AC. And at the same time, one of our fridges has an issue, an extra fridge and just one thing after another. And so my car is also starting to give us some trouble. My husband's like, you know what? Let's just trade it in and get a new one. And so we're finally feeling better. And we go to the car dealership. And that was super naive on our part because, you know, you can't get a car right now. Um, but that was cute on our part to try to just walk in and buy a car. But anyway, as we're leaving the car dealership, we go to get back in my husband's car. And it totally will not start. I guess the heat here in Dallas just did in his battery. And so how horrifying is it that, yes, we have to totally have AAA come. 
and replace the battery so that we can even leave. And you know that dealership, because we were telling him we were going to trade in a car, and we were going to trade in mine. But you know, they're like, yeah, nice try, people, trying to trade in your car that won't even start at the dealership. So that all goes down. And then the air conditioner, finally, I'm like, okay, we have to deal with the AC. And so we have a company come and put it in. But it just so happens they're putting it in, and they said they'd be done by noon on the same day that we have all the kids and adults that come to our house to make sandwiches every week on Tuesdays. Y'all know that we do this. We've talked about this before, but we make sandwiches every Tuesday. We have a big crowd that comes and we give them to the food bank. Well, anyway, the AC guys are here and they are running behind and they actually don't get it fixed until literally at 2.30. So people are walking in my front door and the AC people are walking out the back door and they're like, okay, we're just starting it. But it's hot, you guys. Like it's been hot everywhere, but Dallas has been hot. So, I mean, I have some fans around the house and it's kind of starting to cool off, but what can you do? So I'm apologizing and we're making sandwiches and I'm not kidding. One sweet little boy completely passed out in my house, passed out. Thankfully they caught him and it was all fine. His mom was so great and gracious, but there's really nothing quite as horrifying as when you have people in your house and it's so hot that someone passes out. And so that's what's been going on over here. That's how our summer's going. I hope that you are faring a little better. And if you have tips on how to leave town and not have everything totally destruct in, um, upon your re-arrival back home, I probably, I probably need to talk to you. Anyway, I'm glad you're here today. Speaking of destruction and trouble, you guys, remember we re-released a an older interview with David Thomas several weeks ago because I had had the opportunity to talk to him, but somehow with technology, we lost it. It's the only interview we've ever lost was with David Thomas. Well, he's so sweet. He's back today, and I'm so thrilled he's back because this topic is so important, raising emotionally strong boys. And we are talking all about the struggles our boys have when we don't raise them emotionally strong and what that looks like in today's culture, but really practically, how do we do that? How do we articulate every day and what we're doing, emotionally strong feelings that will help and guide them. So it's so good. You guys, raisingboysandgirls.com is where you find everything that David Thomas does and Sissy Goff also. She's also on here a lot. They're both out of Nashville, Tennessee, but you can listen to their podcast. You can find their resources, follow them on social. They're amazing, but I'm just thrilled he's back and you are getting um, the second interview because we lost the first one, the second interview with David Thomas. So great. Here we go. So happy to be back with you. Always happy about that. Well, when you say and be back with you, we can now um, all laugh about that because I told you before we recorded, I needed to put a bag over my head because um, backstory for everyone who may have missed this. I recorded um, an interview with Sweet David, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago on this book already for the release of his book because it's so important and so good on raising emotionally strong boys. And in over what, three or 400 episodes of Pardon the Mess, millions of downloads, we've never had a technical glitch where we lost the interview until this one with sweet David Thomas. And he's gracious enough to come back and do it again. And so this is like 2.0 of me and David Thomas talking about raising emotionally strong boys. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you. I not gracious, just grateful that I get to be with you again. Any excuse for that. And you know, I've long said technology is like toddlers. Like sometimes it behaves, sometimes it doesn't. We don't ever know when that's going to happen. 
Yes. Well, that was it. And so we even, I, I told you this, we even switched technology platforms because of that. We are not going to let that happen again. And so here we go with a new technology platform and a new opportunity to grow a little. And listen, David, when you've hit 50 um, and you're still trying to do technology, then there's a lot of growth involved. And so here we are. Indeed there is. And I'm right there with you. Yes. So, okay. Raising Emotionally Strong Boys is your new book. And oh my goodness, when I saw the title, I'm like, I don't even know what's in this book, but I need every word of it because I'm raising a couple of boys. And listen, um, having been, I'm in a stage right now of raising a high school boy and a six-year-old. And I've about decided the emotional highs and lows are about the same at both ages. I'm not sure there's a huge discrepancy. It's you know, a very I've, interesting dichotomy. I've long said there are amazing similarities between toddlers, teenagers, and adult men. Like we're very similar creatures. And so I believe everything you're saying. And and yeah. I laughed with a mom a couple of weeks ago who she got the workbook that I wrote for elementary age boys. And she said, I've been working through it with my fourth grade son, but you can't even imagine how much I'm using with my 40 something year old husband. And I'm like, well, <laughs> fantastic. Wherever it's yes. useful, use it. It's for all ages. So yes. Well, when, when we think about this whole idea of raising emotionally strong boys, and I think any mom who's raising a boy and, and I think it applies to girls too. I'm raising one of those too. And I, I want an emotionally strong girl too, but boys are their own little deal. And, um, I think about that. I started thinking about what are some of the things maybe that culture is speaking into our boys, maybe not even necessarily coming from us, but maybe old school, or maybe we grew up with this. Like, you know, what comes to mind for me when I think about emotionally strong boys is that, you know, this, this stiff upper lip that we, we maybe tell our sons they need to have, or maybe that, you know, if, if our daughters cry, we, we don't think much about it, but if our sons cry a lot, we're like, Ooh, that's not good. And so can we just start by maybe identifying some of those things that are already setting them up for the emotional struggles because of what the culture thinks of how a boy should look emotionally? Yes, we can. And I think we need to, I don't think we can lean in far enough to the messages that boys are getting culturally. And and let's think about the most, potentially the most common spoken is the phrase man up. And I would yeah. invite every parent listening to think closely, think critically about what that means, whether we're aware of it or not, somewhere in that message is the message of stop feeling so much, suck it up and move forward. And that message, those messages really go against everything I talk about in, in raising emotionally strong boys. And I don't think being emotionally strong involves stop feeling. In fact, I think it means feel your feelings. And so yeah. I've talked with so many adult men who have said to me, you know, David, I grew up absorbing the messages of don't feel and don't ask for help. And I think we're speaking those messages to boys every day, all the time. And in my experience and in my opinion, that's exactly why adult men lead the scariest statistics out there. That's a foundational ingredient and in why men lead the stats for infidelity, internet pornography, substance abuse, suicide, because they absorb that message and then live out of that message of don't feel and don't ask for help. And it mm. wreaks havoc on us individually. It wreaks havoc on our relationships as well. So I'm grateful for where we started because I think we have to dissect the messages that are happening. And then if we were to layer onto that, the fact that somewhere around nine to 10 boys instinctively begin to channel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, confusion, disappointment into anger. And I think culturally we send strong messages that say anger's okay. Fear's not okay for boys. Anger's okay. And so 
if those cultural messages are coming out in this direction and then that biological process is in play in this direction, you can see where men end up in the places we just discussed. You can see where we find ourselves getting from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah. And you told, I, so I have the benefit of having already talked to you once about this and I, I but I thought this, it stuck with me, the story you told, so I'm going to ask you to share it again, but you mentioned having gone to a funeral. Um, and, and do you remember that story that you told us and yes. how people reacted to the son? Will you just share that story? Cause I think it's a, it was a good reminder to me of what this looks like daily when, when we let these cultural lies feed into how we treat our boys. Yeah. It's a good reminder for me as well. And years ago, I went to a funeral of a man in my hometown who was a great man I'd known growing up as a boy who was an amazing father and an incredible grandfather. And at his funeral, I remember looking and seeing his grandchildren around his casket at one point. And as the service was closing out and they were about to take the casket out of the church, his six-year-old grandson began sobbing, just weeping uncontrollably and touched his casket and just said, I miss you. I miss you so much. And I remember looking next to him at his 14-year-old grandson who was standing with his arms crossed and his lip was quivering and he was clearly fighting as hard as he could fight not to cry, not to show any emotion at all. And as we were leaving the service, several people who know that I work with boys commented about how worried they were about the six-year-old boy who was crying so hard. And I remember saying, oh, I'm not worried at all about him because that little guy is reminding all of us about the importance of grieving well when we love someone and lose someone. I said, I'm worried about the 14-year-old grandson who's working so hard not to feel anything. And full, you know, building on that, as I got closer to intersecting with a family, I could hear people saying to the 14-year-old boy who was fighting so hard to feel like, good for you for being so strong for your family right now. And yeah. there stood this little six-year-old cousin next to him thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, I could just see it swimming in him. So I made a point to go straight to that little six-year-old guy and just say, thank yeah. you for reminding every one of us here today what a great man your grandfather was and how sad we feel about losing him. You know, I wanted so bad to just to validate that little guy's emotional strength that yeah. was not being identified, that was not being validated, that was not being called out. And there he was standing next to his cousin who was being affirmed for being stoic, you know, yeah. being affirmed for suppression and not expression. Mm. Well, I think that's just a powerful story and, and a great reminder for all of us as parents. And so you mentioned earlier a lot of the interplay that comes with that later in life with um, our kids when they don't have that emotional strength, when we're not raising them in that. And one of the things you mentioned among pornography, other things, but you talked about suicide and, and yeah. the suicide rates are high for boys. And uh, you said this in the last podcast, um, you talked about that. Just share a little bit about that. It was kind of staggering to me because I don't think I've ever looked at it, but, um, but that's an issue with our, with our boys. It is. It's, it's terrifying to me as well. It's terrifying to me how, st how high the stats around suicide are for adolescent males. It's terrifying for me how high they are for adult males. And the statistic I use in the book that was incredibly difficult to even type because it, it's still so hard to even look at and certainly to say is that globally on average, one man dies by suicide every minute of every day, hmm. every minute of every day. And one of the definitions of suicide I remember studying when I was even in graduate school decades ago was that a person would begin to believe that their pain exceeds their resources. 
Mm. And I don't want there to be another male in this world who believes that his pain is greater than his resources, which brings us right back to the importance of asking for help and how much I think boys need to grow up with that sense of that strength, asking for help, admitting I don't have it all Mm. together. I don't have everything at my disposal that I need. I need community. I need God. I need all of these things is a strength. And I want boys to hear and experience that throughout their growth and development. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a hard start. And we obviously never want to come out of a place of fear, but let's be realistic. And that's what I love that what you're doing is you're giving us answers to the reality of what our boys are facing. And so you're giving us tools to do that. And so, um, what are some of the things just as parents, what are some of the tools that we can start working towards with our boys to help raise emotionally strong boys? I think it really begins with helping boys build an expansive emotional vocabulary. So if, if we even think back, parents listening to those early pediatric well visits when we took our kids, you know, at 12, yeah. 18, 24 months, the doctor was asking us whether we remember it or not, you know, how many words is he saying? How many words is she saying? And what research would tell us is that in those early pediatric visits, girls are saying two to three times the number of words that boys are. So if her general vocabulary is greater, of course, her emotional vocabulary would be greater. Now, that's important to note because many people believe, and there's zero science to back this up, that girls have more feelings than boys. Women have more Mm -hmm. feelings than men, and there is no science to back that up. It's just that girls and females tend to have more words to describe, to articulate those feelings. And Mm -hmm. so the beginning point in my mind is, We're going to have to labor harder. We're going to have to labor longer with helping boys develop an expansive emotional vocabulary so that they can name. That's that beginning point. And then to navigate, you know, I think figuring out what to do with my emotions, that navigating piece is, in my experience, more instinctive for girls. There are certainly girls who are exceptions to that rule and boys who know to do it. But generally speaking, more boys don't know how to do it. You know, it's like this really complicated maze that I don't know how to get from point A to point B, and I just get roadblocked more easily. So we're going to have to labor longer in those spaces, which is why those stats make sense. Because think about, if we just think about internet pornography and substance abuse, you know, the common denominator in both of those is that I need something to help me numb out whatever I'm feeling. I can't can't name it and I can't navigate it, so I'm going to try to drown it in some way. And so It's no surprise to me that boys of all ages and adult men always lead the stats in those spaces. So unless we're training him in that direction, he will need someone or something to help him numb out or attend to those emotions because he doesn't know how to work them through on his own. Yeah. Yeah. And flip side is if you're seeing some of that, you know what they're doing. You're able to look at that and say, okay, why are we fighting this battle so hard with technology or the different things that might be, yeah, something to be looking back and saying emotionally, where are they struggling? And so you talk about these three R's, the recognize, regulate, and repair. Talk to us a little bit about that. I think that's so practical in helping us just like, what does that look like today and tomorrow with our boys? I think the recognize piece is identifying how the body signals an emotional response. And I think that's different for every person. You know, when emotions come into a person's body, your heart may start to race faster. Your face and neck may get red. Your muscles may get more tense. You may clench your fist and jaw. So paying attention to what are the signals your body is giving you. And with boys in the workbook I wrote, I talk about it a little like the dashboard of a car. You know, our car will signal us like, hey, your tire is low. You need to put some air in. Hey, your oil needs changing. Hey, you're out of wiper fluid. 
And if I attend to those things, the car is going to keep running smoothly. If I ignore those things, I could do some real damage to the vehicle. The same is true for us. Like I can do some real damage to myself physically, relationally, emotionally on every level if I don't pay attention to those signs and signals. So that's the recognized part alongside, as we discussed, figuring out what are the words I need to use. And I will simply say as a side note too, I think I feel more passionate about developing an emotional vocabulary, this first R than ever, because in my experience of as a therapist, I think kids are using bigger and bigger words to articulate their experience because they don't have an accurate emotional vocabulary. So rarely do I hear kids say, I feel sad. They go straight to, I feel depressed. Now, some kids are experiencing true depression. Some are not. Um, Mm -hmm. when I was growing up, if you felt really angry with your parents, you know, kids of my generation often would say, I feel so mad. I'm going to run away from home. And some of us may have even packed a bag and headed down about a block away (laughs) before we got scared and came back. I rarely hear kids anymore or parents report kids saying, I'm going to run away from home. Now they say, I'm going to kill myself, which is just the scariest thing any of us could say because they can't articulate their experience. So they're going to throw out these big words, big declarations as a way of cueing the grownups around them. This is what's going on. So that first R that recognize is so foundational for so many reasons. It's interesting on that recognize too. I think like my son, my youngest went to this public school in our neighborhood last year. And it was interesting because when he'd come home each day, he like, not every day, but some days he'd say, today I had the frustrations and I'm like the frustrations. And then he would talk out, I was frustrated with this and that. And then another day he'd come back, but they had like a whole system with them to articulate what it was they're feeling and how to work through it. And I remember his teacher telling me because kindergartners post COVID were kind of pretty hard hit coming in because they hadn't been in any kind of preschooling really. They'd been home with their parents. Everybody was frustrated and tired. And they were just saying this teacher who's very well advanced, very, very good at what she did. She's like, I've never had kids that are so emotionally at a deficit as the ones that are coming in right now for kindergarten, mine included, I'm sure. But I just think that's interesting as you say that, like I had never thought to say to my youngest one, like, let's put into words what you're feeling and let's identify them. Uh, Instead, you know, if he was acting angry or acting out or whatever, I would be likely to punish and be like, you need to stop. You need to go to your room, like isolate whatever until you get control of it versus actually naming it. And so it's interesting hearing you say that, recognizing it, but they were teaching my son, like recognize and articulate it. So Thank you for that word. And and my kids getting it. Thank goodness somebody else knows it because, you know, I wasn't doing it over here. (laughs) I'm so thankful you shared that because it's a great reminder that I think in my experience, we're prioritizing that more than ever in our school settings. Like we really value what we call SEL skills, social emotional learning skills. And it thrills me. Not that I don't think math skills aren't important. They are. But my goodness gracious, if we taught... (laughs) recognize and regulate as much as we teach math and social studies. Like I think we'd be preparing kids to be adults in this world in the most amazing way. Hey guys, I'm jumping in here to tell you about a new resource for our teens you need to check out. It's the NIV Teen Study Bible. It's now available in new editions from Zondervan, and there's updated covers, new profiles of people in the Bible. But what I love is it helps our teens discover God's eternal truths in His Word, and it applies everyday issues they're facing to their life. Things like dealing with friends and family and school problems, bullying, depression. So if you have teens, this is a way to help them navigate the hectic and sometimes stressful lives they lead. Check it out. It's the NIV Teen Study Bible. What does regulate look like? Regulate is really just employing calming strategies when the nervous system is in a heightened state of arousal. So it's kind of the navigate part. And 
I walk parents through in the book, helping boys develop what I call a top five list of just healthy coping strategies, things they can do in different moments when they feel this heightened sense of emotion inside of them. And then the third R is repair. And it's just taking ownership and doing any needed relational work. And within the third R, I talk a lot about how boys, unless we teach the skill of repair and taking ownership, will throughout life swing between what I call blame and shame. And there is fascinating research that tells us for you as females, when something goes wrong in your life, you are more likely to blame yourselves. And we as males are more likely to blame others. And I want to challenge parents to think about all the ways that comes out with boys. Like, my sister is the one who made me angry. My teacher didn't teach it the right way. My coach is not giving me enough playing time. Like all the ways that I think those blame statements slip out because it's instinctive or they swing to shame, you know, when they get in trouble. I'm such an idiot. Everyone in this family hates me. No one likes me. You know, it's full of self-contempt. And unless we teach ownership, that third R, of repair, boys are just going to stay stuck in that pattern of swinging back and forth and back and forth between those two. And I think there's some boys who edge a little more toward blame and some who edge a little more toward shame. But I do want to say this last thing about blame. One of the definitions I talk about in the book of blame is blame is nothing more than discharge pain. And I think males who are in pain cause pain. And that's part of that. It's coming out sideways. It's pointing the finger the other direction. It's not moving toward what kind of skills do I need to develop so that I can take ownership and do the work I need to do. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, I mean this in no way to be political whatsoever, but the reality of the current crisis is we see a lot of shootings right now and, and we see a lot of shootings with, with males or, um, you know, teenage early adult males. And I know there's so much psychology and there's so much just difficulty around all of that. But, uh, but sometimes when I read about, you know, just some of the settings and some of these boys that have been bullied or maybe didn't have a father in their home yes. or just different things. I mean, I think everybody's always trying to identify like, what's the answer behind what would cause someone in this. And, and, and I couldn't help but think about this whole emotionally strong boys idea and what a difference this could make in so many of yes. our boys' lives. And really some, I mean, I, there's mental illness, obviously, and there's critical problems, but the flip side of that is I was thinking like, what does an emotionally strong male look like? Because I'm not sure how many men you would ask the question, say like, literally, do you think you're emotionally strong? I'm not sure that many would say like, yeah, I got this or whatever. And so you kind of go through a little, but I'd love for you just to share because it's always nice to look forward to like, if we're going to work on these things now, what's the end goal. And so what does an emotionally strong man, what do they look like? You know, it's interesting. I'm really thankful you brought that up first in, in, in thinking about, you know, just within the last 72 hours, there's been another school shooting in our country. And think about how often the story breaks. And, you know, I, I, I in my mind, know that at some point we're going to find out it was a male responsible. That's not to say there aren't women who aren't responsible, male, females that are. But, you know, the highest percentage of time, it's going to be a male. And we know we're going to find some common denominators. You know, Mm -hmm. we know we're going to find he was probably between 18 and 25. He was really angry. He may have spent too much time playing violent video games. He, you know, we're going to find all these factors in play and is where I'm just so grateful you would give me this opportunity to talk about how incredibly important I think it is that we're laboring in this space with boys of all ages so that they're Mm -hmm. developing fully so that to your great question, 
the end game is a male who a has a sense of being able to name and navigate his experience that he can articulate what he's feeling that he can articulate what are the things that help him that he can model in front of all the kids boys and girls i think it's so great when kids have males in their life dads uncles grandfathers coaches who are saying you know what i go to counseling and it's so incredibly helpful to me hey i meet with my pastor and that accountability is so vital to me hey I took a walk with my best friend the other day, and he challenged me in some ways, knowing that those reportings are landing on the boys that we love. And I don't think we get an, kids get enough opportunity to see that on adult men. I think they do more often with adult women. They hear their moms talking about going to counseling. They hear their moms yeah. talk about spending time with trusted friends. They hear their moms talk about self-care, but they don't with the males in their life. And I think it's vital that they do because that kind of reporting is teaching those two things we talked about on the front side. This is what it looks like to feel. This is what it looks like to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really want to challenge parents of both genders to narrate your experiences all throughout the day too. That's the other thing that I think is of such importance. Like if you're driving today and you're stuck in traffic and your kids are in the back of the car with you and you, you know, are worried about being late, that's a common thing that can happen to any one of us on any given day. Say things like, you know what? I feel tight and tense in my body. I'm worried I'm going to be late. I'm going to turn on some soft music right now that I think will help settle me. I'm going to do a minute of deep breathing at the next stoplight. You know, knowing that those reportings are landing on the kids we love. And that's what it looks like to name and navigate. This is, I don't want this to be super complicated. I want it to be really simple when we're sitting around the dinner table and just talking about our days. I want kids to hear their parents say things mm -hmm. like, you know what? I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation to the board of directors and I didn't feel as prepared as I wanted to. Here's what I'm going to do next time. So all of that narrating, all of that reporting is a part of where I think kids make such great connections because research also tells us time and time again that kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more from watching us than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And so it reminds me of a time back when we were doing foster care before we adopted our last little one. And um, it was right before we thought he'd probably would be sent to a different location. And so we were attached and all the things. And I remember I, I couldn't keep it together. I mean, uh, all I could think of was packing this little guy up to go. And I mean, I, and I'm not a crier, but I could not stop crying. And I remember someone said to me like, uh, and a sweet friend that was like, Hey, do you need help getting it together before you pick your kids up from school? And I remember saying, actually, no, I want them to see, I guess, the real Good raw vulnerable of chasing after what God has in our lives. And it's not always easy. And I remember from a spiritual perspective, I just remember just the Lord laying it on my heart, like just model it well. And this is hard and the Good Lord will you. call you to hard things. But now looking back on that from an emotional perspective too, like um, my kids still talk about seeing me like kind of laughing a little bit, but like me unravel during that time, but they saw the real and the raw and the grief of that and how hard it can be and that that's okay. And we're okay now. And, um, and so I just, I encourage others in that time. I think it, it was so easy for myself to think, pull it together, Cynthia. And for people around me to kind of be like, Hey, pull it together, Cynthia. Um, yes. and maybe there's just some times where let's not pull it together and exactly. let's just like you're saying, be real and, and vulnerable and raw about it. And, and so you say something in the book I, that uh, in this same area that I think is important, you talk about, there's just different roles moms and dads play in the emotional health. We have different uh, areas that we play into that for our boys. And so I would love for you just to give us a little idea of what that looks like. 
Yeah. I want to say first off, I love that story so much. Thanks for sharing that. And and the wisdom that you knew as a mom. And then I want to remind us of as parents, like loss is going to be a part of every one of our kids' life. Not one time, multiple times. They are going to lose relationships. They're going to lose jobs. They're going to lose people. And so if we are simply operating under that idea of pull it together, we are in no way preparing them to navigate the loss that we know is a part of their journey. And so I love where you went with that. And I tell a story in the book of an adolescent boy at 15 that I was meeting with who lost his grandmother that he loved. And weeks after that loss, talked in detail with me about what it was like in her last days to watch his dad. Mm. So his dad lose his mom. And, you know, even in detail, he talked in detail about what it was like on one particular day when his grandmother was in hospice care at her home and his dad climbed into her hospital bed with her and just wept and held her like his mom. And it was so profoundly impacting for this boy. And I think gave him so much permission and space to say, I love my mom that much. I can't fathom what that would feel like to lose my mom. And the gift of getting to watch his dad say, this is how meaningful this relationship, this is who this person was in my life. This is what it looks like to lose someone you love that much. And so I just want to challenge every parent listening to lean into the wisdom of your story and that and the importance of kids getting to sit front row. And I would say also, you know, to your great question, I think that in my experience, boys tend to so often um, have relationship with their moms where they are the safest place on earth for them. I love to hear boys talk about their relationship with their moms. Now, what I would say with moms is being the safest place on earth holds the honor of, you know, often getting the best of who boys are and the worst of who they are at times as well. And I very much want boys to grow up feeling like their moms are a safe place to land, that their moms are a sounding board, but not a verbal punching bag that I just mm. unload everything on her, that I just get the worst of who I am. And then it's her job to bounce back like a rubber band. And so I talk a lot with moms about being safe and staying steady and staying yeah. steady means setting good, healthy boundaries and even saying things like, I'm here for you to listen. I'm not here for you to disrespect me. And so those kind of declarations would be a practical example of how that happens. The third thing I talk about with moms, and I think this is a hard, hard thing to have to talk about with moms is letting go. And in the book, I I share a definition uh, from a book called The Art of Family that I read decades ago by a woman named Gina Bria, who said this in the book. I love her, her word. She said, she's a mom of multiple sons. She said, I want my sons to learn from me that they are free to be rooted in home and still be abroad in the world as men. And I think she speaks Mm -hmm. to all three of those things, to being safe, letting go, which is hard to do, and staying steady. And so those are three things I write a lot about in, in the chapter on moms. And with dads, I talk a lot about, even to the example I just shared in that story, of boys having an opportunity to see that emotions reside in the life of a man. And if to your great story, men are only operating in this way of I've got to suck it up and never showing any emotion, I think that communicates to boys when they feel big feelings, which they will inevitably feel like something's wrong with me because I don't see this on my dad. He doesn't cry like I do. He doesn't feel scared like I do. He doesn't Mm -hmm. feel embarrassed the way I do. And so 
boys desperately need to see that emotions reside in the life of man. And they also need to see one of the things I talk about in the book is how often I, over the years I've asked boys, you know, tell me who are three of your mom's closest friends. And in my experience, boys can name it just like that. They can go straight to two to three friends. If I ask the same question about their dads, like who are two or three of your dad's closest friends, it's harder for them to come up with an answer. And that's sad to me. And I, I want boys to have an answer to that question and a great sense of the men in their lives spending time in community with other men and knowing the importance of those places of honesty and vulnerability and accountability and so many things that happen within that context of relationships. So, so they good. desperately need to see that as well. So good. So good. Okay. We're going to wrap up. And um, one time I had to do like a media training thing for a place I worked and um, they said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and you have one minute to give your two, your, your best thoughts on it. And um, I was terrible by the way, cause I haven't spoke anything in one minute my whole life. And you'd think me neither. A, yeah. So but, um, but I'm let's try, you, let's try it. I'm going to throw out a couple of topics cause I just think you're so wise in all things boys. So as we wrap up, I'm going to throw out, a, I'm just going to throw out just general topic and I'd love okay. your best minute or less on, on this. And then everybody just check out his resources cause you could talk about anything, but okay. Anxiety and depression and how it looks in boys. Yes. The stats would say that girls are twice as likely to struggle with anxiety. Mm -hmm. One in four kids, one in three adolescents, girls being twice as likely, but plenty of boys struggle. It's just often going to present differently. And in my experience, anxiety with girls looks more worried and afraid. And with boys, it looks more angry and volatile, which are not ways we tend to think about anxiety. And depression tends to look more sad. Our definition of depression is more on what it looks like with adult females. Sad, lethargic, unmotivated, I have trouble getting out of bed. It can present that way with boys. More oftentimes, it's irritable. In fact, I had a mom years ago say, it's, she's talking about her 15-year-old son. She said, it's like he wakes up with this chronic irritability every single day, and we're all kind of walking mm. on eggshells around it. That tends to be more what I see depression look like with boys. So when I even mention something like anxiety and depression, I, I often will have parents say, no, I don't think he's worried. He's just angry a lot. And anger is a secondary emotion. There's always something underneath and we want to be chasing after what's underneath. Oof, that's so good. Okay. Second one, boys pushing away. You kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, I'm seeing it with a high school boy, but sometimes it helps if we hear that this is normal. Generally, um, when, when we think about a boy starting to push away, can you just speak in that? It's healthy. At what age should we expect it? Can we have a little thought process on that? Yeah, it's normal. And, and on the front side of what I call stage four, which is somewhere in the 13 to 15 space, especially that can happen a little earlier with some boys, a little later with others. So it's common. He'd want to spend a little more time in his room, not ling linger at the dinner table as long, those sorts of things. So I'm not concerned about that as you know, a boy who's going to his room as long as he's coming out at certain points. So we don't want to leave him there for extended periods of time because we want him to have the practice of engagement. We want him to have the opportunity for conversation at the dinner table. We want there to be points where we can still check in, even if it's difficult. And my challenge there would be, I talk a lot about just talking around a task. So rather than just sitting eye to eye with him in conversation, take the family dog for a walk. Go outside while he's shooting hoops and retrieve the ball and toss it back. Take him out to dinner. There's incredible truth to that age-old statement of the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Adolescent mm -hmm. boys will talk a lot better around queso than they will just sitting eye to eye. So <laughs> think creatively and strategically okay. in that space when he's pulling back more. 
Okay. And then here's another one, boys and their relationships, like with other boys, mm. help us understand that a little bit. Cause again, uh, having raised a daughter who's now just started college, but her relationship with all her girlfriends and what that looked like and in and out of our house, like it's quite different watching it now with the boy. And so what are we looking for that? Um, and how do they differ? I, I, maybe we just need to hear like, it will be different and that's okay. And this is what a normal, what normal relationships should look like with our boys. And this is tricky because a, it will be different. B, this is where I want to see boys developing more skills. So don't at all hear me say I think boys need to be talking as much with their friends as girls do. They won't. Or that they need to be spending as much time even with their girlfriends as they will. Or that they will initiate as much. Girls are highly relational creatures. So I'm not at all saying it needs to look identical. I do want to say it needs to look somewhat different than it often does, though. And so here's a great example. I have sat with kids for 25 years now whose families have been navigating the transition of separation and divorce. And can I tell you how often I have asked a boy of many ages, which of your friends know this is happening? Only to have him look at me like, why in the world would I have told anyone? How would that possibly help me? Whereas if my colleagues who work with girls were to ask a girl of any age, how many of your friends know they could name three right off the bat most of the time. And again, exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, that's part of that. Don't ask for help. Don't feel. And so boys within relationships wouldn't dream of sharing that even with a close friend. Sometimes some kind of significant life transition, like my parents are getting a divorce. And so that's where I'm saying we've got to push back some in terms of starting with that good modeling of them getting to see adult men open up. When we say I met with my pastor, I met with my best friend saying I talked about something happening at work that I feel really fearful about so that boys have that opportunity to sit front row and see what it looks like. And then practice opportunities to be doing that themselves as well when it's not as instinctive. Yeah. Woo. So good. All right. By the way, you passed uh, media training. I just wanted you to know, I have no authority to say that, but I thought it was really good. Um, will you now, send me I, a certificate? I will. I will send you a certificate. Thank you. Um, I mean, this is the same girl who um, totally lost your first interview. So I don't know that it holds a lot of weight, but whatever, David, it's just you and me here. So you are um, the best, but okay. Everyone, this book is a must have, and you know, it's a must have if you have sons, but um, if you have daughters, they will marry a boy and you're probably ma married to a boy. And so there's lots of boys, there's lots around us. And so it's a raising emotionally strong boys by David Thomas. And then also, all, well, I'm going to let you tell them. Tell them all the places to find what you guys do. And you uh, work at Daystar with Sissy, and Sissy's on our uh, on our podcast a lot too. But just tell everybody how to find all your resources. You're so kind. And we both love you. Sissy and I both do. And yeah, we sweet. are both practicing at an amazing place here in Nashville, Tennessee called Daystar Counseling. One thing I'd say to the parents listening all over, we do parent consultations with parents all over the globe. All over the globe is something we do by phone or by Zoom. Um, so any parent who's listening and just thinks, gosh, I've got some questions about my kids and I'd love a safe place to really table those questions. We'd love to offer that support if that's helpful. You can find all of our resources at raisingboysandgirls.com. You'll find our podcast, our books. We are trying to push out as many resources as possible to parents. We've got a social media account where we put up videos all the time. So just kind of three things to try with your toddler, three things to try with your teenager. So thinking about where kids are in different developmental spaces, thinking about some unique things as we're discussing that boys face, that girls face. So check out our Instagram account as well, because we're pushing out a lot of great content there. But if you go to raisingboysandgirls.com, you'll find all of our resources. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the podcast, please, people. The podcast is so good. And so check that out. And then so if they good. wanted to get in touch with you for the um, parent parent counseling that y'all do, yes. just with Daystar, what's the best way to do that with Daystar? You website. know, there's a tab on the RaisingBoysAndGirls.com website okay. that'll say Daystar. And if you just click on it, it'll take you right to how to connect with us there. Awesome. Well, as always, David Thomas, thank you for doing this. And um, thank you for doing it twice this time. You're twice as nice. <laughs> You're kind of making me hope it messes up again so I get to be with you again. You are <laughs> oh, always so gosh. enjoyable to talk with. I'm so thank grateful you. anytime I have the opportunity. Thanks for having me back. Anytime. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. All right. All my best. Okay, friends, you've got to grab a copy of this book. It's so good. Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. There's also a workbook. It's so helpful. And I'm just thankful for just practical ways to raise boys in a way that helps them be successful adults. And David Thomas is just the very best at speaking into this. And so thankful he came back for the 2.0 of this conversation. So check out RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. They have all the resources there. And thank you guys again for being here. We know your days are busy. So as always, thank you for joining us as we pardon the mess.